Today we start a, a new series and a kickoff that will guide us through our desire as a church to build a new location for our church body. And ultimately, the ultimate goal of this whole project is first and foremost to glorify God. And secondly, to bring about something that's good for our church family and good for our city. That's the big picture. It's not about a building. It's about an opportunity or a project that that might lead to that will allow us to glorify God in the process and bring something that's good and a blessing to our church body and ultimately to our community. And so we're going to go through a, a, a five-week series through the book of Nehemiah. And, and to do this, if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah tells about a project that took place about 2,500 years ago with the Israelite people. And what I like about Nehemiah, what's unique about it and why I think it's so fitting for our project now is that Nehemiah's heart, and we're going to see this as the story goes on, was to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were in ruins. And he had that on his heart. And what's neat about this project is nowhere in the Bible, not one spot, does God ever command the Israelites to build a wall. Nowhere is it clearly stated in God's will, you must have a wall around the city or you're not in obedience to me as your God. Nowhere. In fact, the wall was more of a cultural expression of how cities operated at that time than it was anything else. And yet, it was the wall that Nehemiah desired to go back and build in terms of a physical project, but the project as a whole, as we're going to see, was not about the wall. It was about what the wall represented and what the wall would provide for God's people in that city in which they were to worship him. So what I hope for us and what I don't ever want you to hear coming out of my mouth or I hope no one in our leadership or as a church is that we're going to sit here and arrogantly say God told us to build this church. I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying that God could never do that. He can do that, but he often doesn't. Instead, I want us to see that we believe and we've prayed and we've ex examined and we've looked at the fact that a church and what a church building can provide in a city can be hugely impactful. But it's not about the building. This is why we are guarding. We are not going to argue about the color of the carpeting. We're not going to argue about, you know, my parking spot over your parking. None of those things are important because it's not about the building. It's about who we are as we go through this project. And why we believe that a building like this could help facilitate some things that could change people's lives. You're going to hear stories about how when this building opened up, it, the people of this church at that time could fill about five rows in this building. And they were bouncing around like ping pong balls. But they had a heart and they sacrificed to make this building come about. And now we see three services of people packed out in this place because of the heart of those people, believing that God could use a place where we could come and worship him. And now we're here, and we're asking the question, what's next for us as a church, God? And we believe this is one step that could help us fulfill a much greater picture. So four vital questions we want to answer as we go through this series, and, and this book of Nehemiah will answer them for us. One of them is, why are we doing this? We're going to look at that today. 
the bigger picture of why are we doing this. We're going to look at how are we going to do it. We're going to look at what are we going to do. And then lastly, we're going to look at who needs to be involved in it. And we're going to answer these questions as we go through the series. So today we're going to look at the why question. And here's three things in doing so that we need to do on our part. Three things to help us answer why we're doing this. And it's going to take three responses from us. The first is an awareness. The second is an attitude. And the third is an action. So three things I'm going to ask you to step out in this week, and we're, we're kind of committing a season of prayer. Uh, this week is going to be a unique week of prayer, and we're going to have a prayer guide for you. It's in your worship guide. It's on the back side of your notes. So as you're taking your notes on one side, a prayer guide will be on the back. Don't flip there right now. You're going to get distracted. Keep it on this side. We'll get to that later on. But that's going to kind of kick off this week. Our leaders, our leadership team is going to be praying and fasting all week. We've committed to covering every single day. Different people on our leadership team are praying and, and fasting through this week, praying for you all, praying for our city as we're all going to be doing. So this is going to be a, a unique week this week for us, but then we're going to provide a prayer guide really through the whole summer and into August, which is when we'll kind of continue this and really kick it off. But this is going to be more informational and kind of talking about the project as a whole and, and talking about how we're going to go about doing this. And then we will continue to seek God through the summer and come fall. I think we'll have some clear direction and be ready to move forward. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. We're going to look at the first chapter in Nehemiah today. Uh, if you're new with us uh, in your worship guide, there's a spot where you can follow along with us and take some notes. There's a page number attached to the, the scripture, and that page number will take you to the page in the Bible, in those hardcover Bibles in the chairs in front of you. You can reach down and grab one of those and open it up to the passage we're going to look at and follow along with us there. We'll also have the passages up on the screen. I'd encourage you to open your Bible and follow along because this will also guide you through our prayer time this week, and it'll be a great way for you to go back and incorporate it into that time. Let's pray, and we'll jump into the reading of God's Word and see these three things, an awareness, an attitude, and an action that we're going to learn from Nehemiah's life that started his journey with what God had put on his heart. Father God, we are excited to begin a journey that we ultimately don't know all the details of. We don't know the final outcome. We know our desired outcome. And, and Lord, I don't know if that Nehemiah knew ultimately what it was going to look like when he started out on a journey. In fact, we're going to see that there are some huge obstacles in his way, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. But he prayed anyway. And he sought your heart. He revealed his heart for his people. And God, you honored it. And you worked in amazing ways to bring that vision to fruition for the good of your people and for your glory. So God, that's our ultimate prayer today, that as we get on our knees this week and as we continue on our knees through this time period, that, Lord, we would never forget that this project is ultimately about your glory, about people in our city getting to meet the God of this universe and the son that he sent 
to redeem them. And Lord, that it would be good for us and good for our city. We ask this in your name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, we're going to break it down into three parts. We're going to see, uh, again, an awareness that Nehemiah had, an attitude that he had, and an action that he took as he prepares here in the story. So let me give you, uh, well, I'll get it as we go into it. Here's the, here's the first part of the passage. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, and I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with a certain man from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So let me give you a little historical setting that's important to the book of Nehemiah, and even where the book lands in the Old Testament. The book of Nehemiah is part of the historical books in the Old Testament, and it's part of what's called the post-exilic period. Okay, just say that to someone, and you'll sound really spiritual. When you say, oh, yeah, we were talking about the post-exilic period on Sunday. Wow, that's really amazing. All that means is it was post. What does post mean? It's not basketball season. It's not the big guy in the middle. It's, it means after. After exilic, the exile, when the Israelites were exiled out of the, the land. So if you remember, in 586, the southern kingdom of Judah was exiled by Babylon, and they were yanked from their place. And in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the whole city, took a lot of the people with them to Babylon, and took them captive. And, and they were predicted to be there for 70 years. Okay, that happened. The 70 years came and went. Uh, Cyrus, one of the Persian kings, because the Babylonian Empire was eventually conquered by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were a nation that allowed people to usually to hang out in their own nation, unlike the Babylonians that wanted to convert everyone to their style of life. So the Medes and the Persians allowed the Israelites to start going back to the land. And for about 90 years, they'd been doing this. The book of Ezra, right before this, tells about the journeys of some of those people going back. But a lot of the Israelites were still living in uh, this foreign land. Nehemiah was one of them. He was born in Persia. He was born in exile, grew up in it. And now in the story, he's the king's cupbearer, which we'll talk about more tomorrow. He had a prominent role within the palace serving the king. But his heart was for his city that he knew he belonged in. And so when he heard the news that, man, our people have gone back for 90-some years, and the place is still in shambles because the walls represented the security and the strength of the city. And so they were symbolic. When the walls were strong, the city and the people and the worship was strong. When the walls were weak and crumbled, they were exposed and it was a dangerous place and people didn't feel safe to worship their own God. They were constantly in fear of people breaking in and impacting their city. And so that's the state of it right now. And so it's shambles, it's physical shambles, simply represented the spiritual state of Israel. Now, if you stop and ask this, our point here, my first point for us is, is very similar. Nehemiah was aware, and he gathered information, he was aware of the state of his people Israel. My question for us is, is I want to be aware of the spiritual condition 
of our city. I want to be aware of the spiritual condition of our city. I don't know if many of you guys know this, but a study was done a number of years ago in our city, and Laredo was found to be the least evangelized city in America of our size, meaning the fewest number of people in our city compared to any other city in all of America have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a religion, not some even Christianized religion, but the gospel of what it means to have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Not a whole bunch of rules and regulations that you have to meet to be right with God, but how you through his son can have a relationship with us. The least evangelized city right here that we live in. Do you know that most of the religiosity in our city, because we're a very religious city, but how many of you are aware of the fact that most of the religiosity in our city will not save a person according to the Bible? Even religions that, that say they believe the Bible but don't encourage people to open it up themselves are teaching people the thoughts of men and the thoughts of religious organizations that clearly and very obviously contradict what the Bible actually says. Are we aware of that? Or do we just kind of turn a blind eye and go on and say, you know, it's not a big deal. To God, God says there is no other way by which a person can be saved than through Jesus Christ, through knowing this truth. It's not a difficult truth. It's not a complicated truth. Think about it. If God the Father wants you to know how you can have a relationship with him. And he has made it so clear. And yet we are clouding it. We are changing it. And we are keeping people from seeing it. How would you feel if someone was doing that to your children? Preventing your children from experiencing the blessing that you as a parent or a mother or a father had for your children. And they came in and they stole that and they warped it and they manipulated it and they changed it before your children could receive it. Am I even aware of that? Does my heart break when I look across my city and see what's going on here? You know, is this situation and some of these things that nearly 14 years ago uh, really impacted my family and I when we decided to come to Laredo. Uh, many of you have heard our journey, and, and I was a teacher. My wife and I were teachers in, in Oregon, and we eventually at some point we felt like God was leading us toward ministry. We moved to Dallas to go to seminary for training. And then when we were leaving Dallas, our prayer was, God, we'll go anywhere. Just get us out of Texas. <laughs> it was so hot here. And so we prayed, and we had three opportunities that we had before us. One of them was back in Minnesota, where our family's from, and it was right in one of my brother's, my brother's church, so we would have been near family, which we hadn't been near for a long time. Another was in Vermont, near the mountains in Vermont. Those were, those were our top two choices. We had three choices, and then we'd been contacted by the church here in Laredo, and of the three choices we had, Laredo was number 10. I'm just being honest. There was Minnesota, there was Vermont, and then there was Laredo number 10. And there was really nothing between three and, and nine on there. But we thought, you know, we'll, we'll go. We'll go through the process. We'll check it out. And as we went through the process, as we came and visited, when we left here, it was like, wow. 
It was either the fact that Tony Ramos took us to Taco Planque for the first place we ever ate here, or it was something about what was going on here in this church and just the uniqueness of this city as we learned about, as we saw and we met you guys, we met the people here. We saw the need in this city and we thought, God, you've done so much in our lives to prepare us. We could go to those other places, but they'll have 10 other people lined up for those opportunities. And God broke our heart over the things that we saw in this city. And, and I'll, be, I'll be totally honest with you. I have a love-hate relationship with Laredo. <laughs> I love the people of this church. I love the people of this city. I hate 110 degrees, <laughs> no trees, no mountains, no water. And to this point, the love for the people keeps winning out. And I'm not going to lie, about mid-October when it's still 110, it's really close to a draw. <laughs> I'm just telling you, pray for us during that time. It's really close. We've left probably almost four times right around mid-October. It's like, oh my goodness, 180 days in a row. Come on, God. We're not in hell yet, are we? <laughs> but that's what you see here with Nehemiah. He had a heart for his people. He had a heart for his city, and his heart broke over the circumstances. And my prayer for us is that in this week as we pursue God, and, and especially if you've been brought up in Laredo, just like what we've learned as, as we've left the Midwest, one of the things that we've learned in our experience is we've learned to see our own culture differently. Honestly, we thought if we ever went back to Minnesota, I don't know that we could live with those like frozen, chosen white people up there. They're just like really <laughs> stiff and, and they're just strange. We keep telling people, we may be white on the outside, but we're brown on the inside. <laughs> the, the reality is, though, when you grow up in a place, you are blind to the issues of that place. And we were blind to the issues of the place in which we lived and, and how they shaped and have been changed in our hearts. And my prayer is for us as a city, for us as a church, that we would just seek God and say, God, will you give me a sensitivity and an awareness to the brokenness of our city. Just like you did Nehemiah and his heart for his people. You see, the spiritual walls of our city are broken down. And the root of the issues in our city are, are not political. They're not educational. They're not financial. They're not social. Those are simply symptoms of the issues. The root issues of our city are spiritual. And Nehemiah understood that. It was not about building the wall. It was about what that wall would represent and what that wall would provide for. And we're going to see that by the time we're done with this. Such an amazing celebration and a transformation in the people of God because of a simple project that they undertook that represented the real issues in their city. Second thing we see is, is an attitude that we need, an awareness and an attitude. In verse 4, it continues, and Nehemiah is going to get on his knees now as he is aware of what 
his city is looking like, even though he's never been there to visit. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Underline that if you have your Bible. Notice what he's praying for. He's praying for the people of Israel, your servants. Even though the task he's going to ask about it eventually is going to be to go back and rebuild the walls, his prayer is for the real issue. It's not about the wall. It's about the people of God in that city. And it's about God's city being a light for the greater nations that are around it. He says, he's praying for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Here's my second point for you that we'll see in this section is, I will mourn and confess my sins and the sins of our city. Nehemiah did that. He broke, his heart broke over the condition of his city. And when he began praying, he first started by confessing that brokenness. He confessed it for himself and for his own family, realizing that what they were experiencing in exile was a direct result of their disobedience to God. The Old Testament teaches us that story. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 28 and 29 where God has them read the blessings and the curses that would come across on, upon that nation if they obeyed him or if they disobeyed him. And one of them would be that exile. They would be taken out of their land. And he said, when you repent, when you turn back to me, I will bring you back. So this idea of what was happening physically in Israel was simply a representation of what was spiritually going on in the hearts of God's people. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. He mourned over it. He grieved over it. And he started with himself. What are the sins of our city? Are, are we even aware of them? And do we realize how much God wants to speak into them? I'm just going to share with you four that I've seen in the years that I've been here, issues that I see being prevalent uh, and, and that we, I think, as a church have addressed and prayed for and helped people walk through, but, but sins that I've seen really dis destroy our city in so many ways. I'm going to put them up on the screen here uh, with pictures and names, and, and I'm kidding. <laughs> That's just a joke, trying to lighten it up a little bit for you. But I'm going to ask you to write these down as well, and as you pray this week, to pray about these specific things. The first one I've seen is sexual immorality and unfaithfulness. Sexual immorality and unfaithfulness. Maybe more than any other sin that I've seen in our city, this one has destroyed homes, 
families, our community. I see it being something that generationally from, I'm just going to pick on us guys for a little bit. Guys, this is a huge issue. We have hurt and harmed this city because of the way we've treated this issue. Because we have allowed people to continually walk in unfaithfulness when we've known about it. Husbands who are, are sleeping with multiple women and, and, and it's multiple families, those kinds of issues that continue, the abuse that goes on and people remain silent in their homes. I can't tell you how many people I've met with in 14 years whom I've heard that this sin has just absolutely destroyed their families. And they sit before me as an absolute broken person thinking they have no value because of how they've been treated in this area. I don't care how much money, what political laws are passed, what educational programs we put into our schools, none of those things will heal this issue. Only God can do that. And either our city will continue to be known for this crap. Or we'll repent and we'll intercede for our city. And watch God do something that no one else can do. I pray that you'll pray about that this week. The second one I see is, it may be on a different level and a little more hidden in some ways, is greed and corruption. The amount of just trafficking of goods and, and the greed of just money and people going after money and finding our city, which has many opportunities to make money, and people come and they use this city to pad their own pockets. They come to start a business not for the blessing of this community, but because of the money that they can take out of this city because of it. And we know how much this is, has infiltrated every aspect of our city, from the politics down to just the business aspects that go along with being a border town and, and the import and exports and things that go with that. That's a huge issue in our city. And resources that could be used to bless and care and provide for people in our city. Man, there's incredible wealth in our city. And yet there's an abundance of poverty right next door to abundant wealth. And it hurts people. The third one I see is social and economic pride. Social and economic pride. I think of the divide between, say, north and south in our city and how each group kind of dislikes the other. I know as I coached my kids in sports when they were younger, I would see it just in how the schools and the teams see each other. And, and there's one group, oh, they're the haves, they got everything, and we don't have that, and we want to take them down. And, and, and how we view other aspects of our city and how the city sees different parts of the city, that social and economic pride, thinking that we're, you're good if you have stuff and you're not as good if you don't have stuff. 
I think of the divide of the served and the servant in our city. And if you're a servant in our city, if you're in the type of work where you serve others, you're almost not noticed. You're kind of a second-rate citizen, and those people that have people that serve them begin to, they would never say this, but you begin to think, well, and I have stuff, I'm more important than these people. You would never live like some of those people would. And even though we don't mouth it, I see how people treat one another. And if the tables were turned, I promise you, we would all think different. I think of even the socially connected and the socially unconnected. And we have celebrations in our city, long-standing celebrations, that if you're an outsider, you see it very clearly. They celebrate the socially connected and the haves in our city and exalt them. And if you're not in that society, you would never be part of that kind of celebration. We exalt these kinds of things. But what if we became a people who didn't view others by what they had or didn't have? by who they were connected to or who they weren't connected to. Because God doesn't see any of those things in any of us. He looks through it all right to your heart. The last thing I see in our city is the spiritual idolatry and mysticism. The mixing of all this kind of stuff, and I don't have time to go into it, but just the religiosity of our city and and the way in which we put up rituals and thank you and idols or good luck charms spiritual good luck charms all of these things that break God's heart because he says I've given you my son you have the very best I have to offer and you still run to this person or that thing or these things to worship and and feel like you can measure up to me when I've given you the only thing that could possibly Take care of you. And it's just rampant in our city. So I pray that we would mourn and confess these issues. And and in particular, as you do that, would you pray personally about the ones that have touched your life? Because I believe that what you feel has brought great harm into your life and probably has may be part of God's greater plan to use you in a way that could bring redemption in our city from the brokenness. Last thing we see, we have to keep moving, is Nehemiah takes action. And he says in verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I'm going to leave the last verse for the next chapter. I think it fits better there. But Nehemiah is getting ready to speak to the king. And so he's asking God to grant him success as he goes to speak to the king for this project 
that he's about to embark on. And that's my last thing is as we take action this week as well, that I will pray that God hears our prayers and grants us success. That God will hear our prayers and grant us success. Nehemiah asked God to hear his prayer and he prays for success. And as we'll see, he wants success to rebuild the wall. But it's not really about the wall. It's about what the wall will provide for in his city. So for us, yes, uh, I want to ask God for success to build this new building. But not because the building is all that important. My prayer is that we would seek success in it because as we do this project, we would do it in a way that glorifies God and seeks the good of our community. I'm going to bring up Carlos Cuellar now to tell a story about our city and maybe some of the beginnings of our church as well uh, to see how one man prayed many years ago much like Nehemiah did for his city and how that's affected us today. You want the seat or you want the table? You want to stand? Just the table. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Carlos Cuellar. In order for us to know where we are going as a congregation, we need to look back to see how and where it all began. Back in early summer 1983, my wife Angie and I were blessed to be part of the families that started a body of believers that became known as Grace Bible Church. What started with eight couples 33 years ago is what you are witnessing today, a vibrant and constantly growing body of believers, over 750 strong, attending three services every Sunday. However, 13 years prior to these families gathering, the fervent prayers of one humble servant of God who was not from Laredo, played a significant role. Gary Combs was born on May 26, 1947, in Peoria, Illinois. In early 1965, during his senior year at East Peoria High School, a friend gave Gary a Bible. At first, he was put off by the gift but being an avid reader, he began reading the Gospel of John. The more Gary read, the more the Holy Spirit convicted his heart and he thirsted for more. Gary trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Always having a desire to be an astronaut, Gary Combs applied to and was accepted to the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This city is also home to the Navigators, a Christian organization that ministers to men in the armed forces. Upon arriving at the academy, Gary immediately sought out Christian discipling and small group Bible studies. He determined that he would serve Christ. In 1969, upon graduating from the academy, Gary married Linda Bergstrom. Gary and Linda drove to Del Rio, Texas, where he began an intense pilot training program 
at Laughlin Air Force Base. One year later, he graduated number one in his class. With that honor, he earned the privilege of choosing any aircraft and air base assignment. Turning to the Lord in prayer, Gary then asked one of his navigator mentors where he should go. The reply was quick. We desperately need someone. In Laredo. The selection of Laredo Air Force Base astonished many of his friends. Laredo? That's worse than Del Rio, was the usual shocked response. So in 1970, Lieutenant Gary Combs began training pilots at Laredo Air Force Base. He and Linda promptly began a Bible study in their new home. He began reaching out and inviting fellow airmen, officers, and local Laredoans. One of them was a young believer, Pancho Garcia. Gary had such a passion for prayer and a burden for Laredo that he took Pancho with him to a place where they would be able to get a better view of the city. On the top floor of the old Mercy Hospital, both prayed fervently each week for 30 to 45 minutes that Christ would be known to the people of Laredo. Those continuous fervent prayers had a huge impact as a direct result, many were saved, including my wife, Angie. Pancho Garcia, Alex Mandes, and others from Laredo attended Gary's small group. Ten years later, eight families, some of whom had been impacted by Gary and were instrumental in bringing our first pastor, Bob Rowley, prayed for our city and established Grace Bible Church. In late 1973, Gary Combs developed brain cancer and was forced to retire from the Air Force. On September 19, 1978, after battling cancer for five years, continuing to pray for the lost and sharing the gospel with whomever he could, Gary Combs passed away at the Veterans Hospital in Minneapolis at the young age of 31. Gary Combs' life is an outstanding example of what can do in the lives of people through prayer. James 5.16 plainly states that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It is a compelling encouragement to all of us at Grace to pray for one another, our families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers here in the cities of Laredo and Nuevo Laredo, and to pray without ceasing that the Lord will give us the wisdom and resources to continue spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to this growing city and surrounding areas. So now, the baton has been passed to this present generation of believers to be faithful to the Lord's marching orders of sharing the good news 
and making disciples. Thank you, and God bless. To, to God be all the glory. Thank you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, it'll come up on the screen here, and we'll close with this thought. It talks about Jesus as an intercessor. It says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, Jesus. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for him. Nehemiah interceded for his city. People have interceded for cities for many years, but Jesus interceded in a unique way. He didn't just pray for the sins of his people. He died for them. He took them upon himself. Your sins and mine. He bore them to that cross and he experienced the wrath and punishment that you and I deserved so that he could offer us the eternal life that he earned. Now we have the opportunity to intercede for our city. Jesus suffered and took those sins upon himself. We're not going to need to do that. He did it for us. But you know what? Being perfectly innocent, he took our sins for us so that he could offer us life. Now he calls us to experience maybe some of the pain, the temporal pain in interceding for the sins of our city so that we might offer to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our co-workers the beautiful truth that Jesus took their sins away once and for all. That yeah, we might be praying for them, but ultimately what's better than us praying for them is them knowing that Jesus himself intercedes for them when they put their faith and trust in him. So I want to encourage you, if you look in your worship guide and flip it over to the back, you have this prayer guide for the week. We want to take this next week and pray for our city. And as you look on here, there's five days. So five out of the next seven days, we're asking you to set aside a time. Don't just say, yeah, I'm going to do it, but don't give any thought to it. I want you to, before you go to bed tonight, to just pause and say, when would be the best time for me to do this? Maybe it's lunch for some of you. Maybe it's in the evening when things slow down. Maybe the morning is the only time you have any quiet. But give some thought and say, okay, God, these are my five days, and I'm just going to offer myself to you. I'm going to read some passages that we gave you that can kind of guide you through it. And then we gave you a prayer focus for our city and a personal focus of application for you personally. And let's just as a church be a, a group of Nehemiahs for our city. I mean, God changed history through the prayers of one man like Nehemiah. What would he do if we had a church full of Nehemiahs? 
What if it wasn't just one person? What if it wasn't a Gary Combs that came to this city? What if it was a whole church body that walked out and said, God, we want to be Nehemiah's for this city. What might he do if we just took this week, if we just took this season and said, God, use us. I don't know how you're going to do it. We don't even know exactly what you're going to do, but we're here. And we're praying for our city because we believe you can do something great here. That's our prayer as we start this series. That's the bigger picture. That's the why. It's because of what we want God to do in this city. The building is such a small piece. The people are the big piece. Would you commit this week to praying together as we start this journey?